Hey there and welcome to the podcast. My name is Duncan Malcolm and I am your host. In this series, we're talking to real experts who have hands-on experience with tactics and strategies that you can start using straight away. Today, we're talking to community builder Ryan Paul about how to build genuine business relationships that will last your lifetime. He's probably best known as co-founder of the very successful Young Entrepreneurs Council, an invitation-only global network of entrepreneurs under 40. If you're thinking, I don't need help growing my business or network, I already know everyone that matters, then maybe this isn't for you. But if you're the kind of person like me who really struggles to get to the right person or really build a connection with someone, then Ryan's going to deliver that and more. We talk about tactics like gifting and building a platform of people that you can really use to grow your business. Listen in, especially around halfway through, when we talk about Jim Pierce, an ordinary accountant who became one of the best connected people in the United States, and Ryan's own experiences of trial and error. So without further ado, let's get started. Ryan, thank you very much for joining us. Um, you are, the, by, your, by your own name, the builder of Epic Communities, co-founder of Brazen, the Young Entrepreneur Council, uh, Forbes Council, Community Co, featured by Forbes, TechCrunch, Mashable, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, The Financial Times, amongst others. Is, I'm not sure there's anyone that you haven't been uh, featured by. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So we're talking because um, you've got an upcoming book coming out called uh, The Super Connector, um, which we're which we're kind of running through. And the general uh, general concept here is to, that people are, are networking in the wrong way, or the old old kind of fashion approaches don't work. Do you want to talk to a little bit about, I mean, I think we both had those experiences probably when we were both mm-hmm. kind of starting out where you've got, you know, 300 people in a room and everyone's going around shoving business cards in each other's faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we try to paint a picture in the book of that person you just described, the person that can't wait to shake your hand and just like force feed their business card uh, into your pocket. But you can tell that they're, you know, sort of distracted because they're looking beyond you at the next person that they're going to shake hands with and provide a business card to. And it's that very transactional mindset that we're trying to get away from and really trying to encourage people to get back to the roots of building real relationships. You know, I think, um, social media, the social media error, which we talk about in the book has really been a blessing and a curse. We've, you know, been able to be more connected than ever before to people across geographic bounds and in different industries. You know, case in point, you and I talking today in totally different countries. Um, but it's also made us um, a little bit too transactional, a little too focused on um, quantity over quality of our connections, uh, and a little too focused on building up those numbers and, and building up a followership that. Um, for some reason, psychologically translates to more success and more satisfaction in our lives. Um, and we're trying to get people to think more along the lines of quality relationships. And those should be fewer in numbers, more curated, and more focused on mutual value that can be obtained through really spending time cultivating that relationship. That makes sense. And to, how, to what extent do you think that your kind of experiences in the book and what you've kind of picked up over the years building your businesses because a lot of your businesses are actually they are network businesses they're they're about the people and about building communities so it's kind of in essence what you've what you've kind of grown into to what extent Mm -hmm. do you feel that this has been a sort of a lesson in trial and error versus 
was this something that you just kind of on day one when you started at Brazen, you you just knew how it would how it should work, or oh, what, what was your trial own and error? And, uh, yes, trial and error, and it constantly evolves. You know, I think the networking practices that we use and the correct etiquette in order to build meaningful relationships will continue to evolve as uh, technology evolves. Now we're seeing um, that video is becoming like a new medium of choice for. Um, uh, social media sites and areas where we connect. I mean, LinkedIn, for example, just started rolling out a video and you're seeing that um, a lot of the sort of early adopters are getting on there and making connections on LinkedIn like they've never done before. So we're going to have to figure out how to um, maybe integrate video. But I think this book is really 10 plus years of exactly what you said, trial and error. Scott and myself learning about building community, uh, becoming community builders ourselves through first identifying that this is something that we love and that we would love to turn into a trade that we can do to support our families and ourselves for the rest of our lives. And then learning all of the ins and outs, the basic fundamentals of relationship building and then more complex systems and processes and technology to support them that we could use to to really bring what we've learned to others, to our business partners that we work with through the community company, uh, to individuals who join these communities that we create, uh, our members, and to the people that we work with and to those that read this book. And I think it's interesting. So when I when I did my first business, I I was involved in communities and tech tech scene when it was just kind of kicking off, um, and I saw events and got got involved, but not to didn't actually own them and I don't I think a lot of business owners and people who are running businesses or growing business don't really um, don't often think I think it's probably you know one in ten one in twenty one in a hundred businesses who actually think actually what we need to do is build a community of these kind of people with you know this kind of targeted approach I mm-hmm. mean can you speak to kind of examples of where people have done that and have kind of been successful in applying that an approach where they, they're building where they say, I'm not just going to go networking, but I'm going to build a community. And then the kind of the returns I get, I mean, ultimately, I guess they're going to measure in returns, but in terms of the successes they've had. Sure. I I think first and foremost, it's important to recognize that we all already have a community around us in whatever amorphous form it, it might be. You and I, as well as, you know, Fortune 500 brands, there is community there. Um, it's just a matter of how focused and how valuable that community is and how much, um, you're investing in it as the brand. So, um, you know, with our brand partners, we basically like to come in and, you know, first and foremost, talk to them about what is the community that you already have, who is important to you, who are your customers, who are your stakeholders, who are your brand advocates and leverage that as a jumping off point um, because likely they they already have some idea of who they want to meet and they already have targeted those people in some way. Our job is to really figure out where that community lives and plug in systems and people and technologies that we have at the community company to enhance them, to increase engagement, increase retention of those people, and increase the lifetime value of those individuals for the brand. Um, a good example is our Forbes Councils initiative. So uh, we've been working with Forbes Media for several years now, uh, and we've developed well over a dozen uh, curated communities of industry-specific individuals. So an example would be 
uh, Forbes Technology Council, a group for um, executive CTO, CIOs, and others in the technology space, um, as well as um, locally focused initiatives, such as our uh, Forbes New York Business Council, which is a small business organization for entrepreneurs and executives located in the greater New York area. Um, you know, Forbes already had a community. They have a large reach and a, and a readership and um, brand notoriety that spans throughout the globe. Um, and they believe that building more of an established community around that could create um, higher engagement and higher brand loyalty. Um, we tested that out with some of the earlier communities we've done, like the Forbes Technology Council, learned you know what specific add-ons and, and opportunities we could provide to build that engagement. And over time, we're able to scale that and bring that to other industry-specific groups and location-specific groups that that matter to the Forbes brands. And it's been very, very successful for them and very successful for us as a partner. Yeah, that makes sense. Just as a quick check, do you have Dropbox or anything running in the background every kind of minute or so we kind of uh, get a little out of sync for a sec? Oh, no. Um, I don't have Dropbox, but let me just see what is live. There might be a couple things. I usually try to close up all my browsers, uh, but there might be a couple of things running here that I didn't think about. Sorry about that. That's all right. One of the things you, uh, so one of the things I saw in the, that I took in the book, I mean, you talk about a lot of different techniques yeah. and approaches in terms of how to build a community and, and where that should start. And one of the things I think that resonated with me the most, I think possibly because it's something that we're looking at both here at Currencies Direct and also I, I actually ended up testing out myself was gifting in terms of as a good way to build a relationship obviously it's got to be done in a kind of honest and uh in a genuine way where it's kind of mm -hmm. appreciated and taken on yep. how, how have you seen gifting work and what's the what, what would a really good example of gifting be and what would a really bad example of gifting be in terms of building sure. a relationship because i guess I think also in the UK, we're obviously slightly concerned. I mean, we're a financial institution, so we're always worried about anti-bribery and you know, what could be perceived as, you know, what's the difference between a gift and a, you know, and a, and a bribe? So yeah. you know, we kind of keep the definition there as kind of quite, uh, quite clear. But what, what are sure. good and bad examples there? Well, I think first and foremost, I would want to give a shout out to a good friend and a fellow author, John Rulin. He is the author of a book called Giftology, and he's literally like the godfather of gift giving. So if you want to become an expert gift giver, he is the guy that you need to follow and you need to read his book. Um, one of the things that John says that I really love is um, don't give gifts around the holidays. Don't do it. It's the yeah. worst time to give gifts. But for most people, for some reason, that's the logical point in which you think, oh, I need to give this person a gift, whether it's a client or someone else. The best time to give a gift is when they least expect it, right? The middle of summer, when they're not expecting something to come to their house, um, that's when the gift is really going to stand out to the person that you're trying to build a relationship with. Um, the other uh, a good he's uh, about that pyramid of influence which we also talk about in the book um, who are the people around the person that you're trying to build a relationship with that you can provide a gift to in order to uh, really impress them and, and make their lives easier by effect you know good examples would be a personal assistant send you know their personal assistant a gift that makes their day better and you know that joy that they receive because they're not usually the one that gets the gift 
is going to be incredible and that's going to get passed on to the person that you um, are looking to build that relationship with. Another thing that John does is he regularly will have his people go out and you know find information on someone's significant other, send them a gift instead <laughs> of sending it to a person. Think about the impact that makes at the end of the day, both in the thought that had to go into figuring out who that person was and also in the delivery and the joy that they receive that will you know, naturally get back to that person you want to build a relationship with. You know, think outside the box. Most people have, you know, sort of automated gift giving um, to a point where it's just not meaningful anymore. Um, that simple, like, you know, box of uh, Mrs. Fields cookies that you send to the office doesn't isn't going to make that big of an impact. It's it's about something special that people will never forget. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I I having read the book, I actually was on Twitter yesterday. And I saw my accountant had, because you give quite a lot of examples of accountants and lawyers as well-connected people. It's not someone who I'd have thought as actually an extremely well-connected person. But if you think about it, lawyers and accountants have lots of clients and they tend to be businesses that are usually successful. Otherwise, they can't afford the lawyers or the accountants. Sure. uh, Well, I think the other thing is that they're part of that pyramid of influence, right? I think a lot of people think, uh, as an example, if you wanted to go and work with um, a business and, and create a strategic partnership, you would think um, you've got to go to the top, directly to the CEO, and you might ask someone to make that connection for you. But really, it's probably the wrong connection to ask for because the decision maker is maybe one or two rungs down the ladder, ladder like a, a business development offer, officer, a VP, a director uh, who really has the influence to get that done. Um, same is true for lawyers and accountants. They are a big part of, you know, the advisory board of really powerful people and leadership teams and corporations. They are a great way to get connected to other individuals who, uh, you want to meet and to get that foot in the door. They have so many connections through their clients and the people that they work with and such a better understanding of specific areas of the business that's than say a CEO. So, they're just, um, they're very well connected, very well networked, and uh, also are part of a lot of people's pyramid of influence. Yeah, I saw, so I saw his tweet that said he hadn't been sleeping for the last few days, and I sent him a book that I've read recently that when I couldn't sleep, I was reading through with a quick quick note that went with it from Amazon saying, sorry, you hadn't been sleeping, hope this helped, you know, hope this helped me. Uh, thanks, Duncan. And I, and I can see how that, you know, as a, an authentic gift would work versus, I guess, a more inauthentic gift. If I was to then phone them up, one of the, there's something that's kind of quite key in this is that it takes time to build those relationships. Obviously, if I phoned him up, you know, tomorrow, him having received his gift today and immediately started kind of trying to take, um, it would obviously be uh, too transparent, too transactional. It would ruin the authenticity, I think. Mm-hmm. Correct. Absolutely. Timing is everything. <laughs> and beyond the beyond those kind of initial relationship building, there's a lot of uh, curating your own events and kind of building to to your own uh, creating your own kind of small community. I think that's probably a concept for most people that's quite scary. But like, how how would you start? How what's the what's the lightest touch of approach of that? Um, because I mean, for me, if 
it's also feels like quite a big jump although a lot of businesses do a big jump in terms of just even getting to their you know their first million 10 million so on the idea of building a group of 50 people who are you know in my ideal target audience it feels and seems like a like a non-trivial task sure i mean the good news is that there are more free resources than ever before to build community uh, that won't cost you a dime except for you know your time and energy um, you know, I, I've mentored a lot of people that are interested in building a community of X, Y, and Z people. Um, and you know, many of them have, have walked in the door talking to me, thinking that they were going to go and build this, uh, enormous platform, proprietary technology, um, events structure that was planned out a year in advance in advance when really the first thing they probably should have done is. Uh, figured out a medium in which their community is involved online and set, set up a free group. You know, for example, we use Facebook groups uh, rather frequently to connect members of uh, our Young Entrepreneur Council community and some of our Forbes councils. It's free, and a lot of people are already there, and the engagement level is high because you know f- uh, Facebook already has um, you know built that that level of trust where they have a little square on your phone that people click on multiple times a day to check in with their friends. Um, it's very easy to set those groups up and not very easy to create meaningful engagement and connections. Um, but again, like this shouldn't be anything that costs you a dime on the, um, upfront. You know, there's a great way to test any, you know, idea for building a community out and it's to create a Facebook group and start curating people that you think should be a part of it uh, and seeing where it lands. You know, get their feedback, get their input, and find out what additional value you can create and if there's something there that translates to, to something bigger than just the group. That's when you can talk about taking it offline, investing in events, investing in masterminds, investing in your own proprietary platform perhaps. But on day one, it's all about experimentation. It's a lot like a startup, you know, start lean, Test a lot of things out. Don't be afraid to break things or to fail and see where it lands and go from there. A lot of communities will just simply fail because there is maybe no need for it or, you know, it doesn't provide enough ROI to you in your life that it's worth continuing to pursue. But you never know until you try. And the bar is incredibly low to start a community today. And do you think the, I mean, there's execution as well. I mean, you mentioned in the book around some of the early YEC events, which, turned out to be either too structured or too dry or you yeah know, there's, there's always going to be some trial and error in there in terms of yeah. you've got to you've got to kind of put yourself out there a bit and see what oh, does yeah. and doesn't work we, we've had some very crappy events <laughs> i will not lie but from those events you know we learned so much and we were able to do a complete 180 from that early just you know unstructured type of event to something that's more curated and more experiential that our members walk away from would have gotten there if it wasn't for the failures and I think just like with anything else you just can't be afraid to fail and to try something and to um, live with the consequences whether good or bad and you talk we talked uh, in your kind of group building you're talking talked about building when you're building these groups to have rules I think um, (laughs) that that from my own personal experience is something that's really kind of critical um, I've, one of the groups I built was a sailing club, and we initially it has initially been an o- open, all come, all welcome sailing group, which in that context, you know, hasn't been horrifically bad. We've been doing it for about nine years; it's grown very well. 
on reflection, having look, looking back on it, um, that that complete openness and inclusiveness, which is great for a kind of more kind of social community approach, um, for a business approach, I could see how that would be really really painful um, in terms of making sure that people understand the kind of the framework in which they're operating. Yeah, in today's fast-paced world, where um, we all of our you know online lives as well as our offline lives are are just noisy, noisy, noisy. Um, people love curation. They they love the idea that they are going to join a group or a community that is curated of only the best people that um, are interested in the same things that you are. Um, so that that is very very important to us. Um, the other the other thing you mentioned is rules and, and it, it just sort of guidelines that people should follow when they join a community. I think people also like structure and to know what to expect and what the expectations of them are. Uh, setting guidelines is important and they can always evolve with the group. But I think you know at the foundation you should have some strong guidelines that guide what people should and shouldn't do with whatever community you create, and that'll make it all the better in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I, the the size, the size and the intimacy thing, I think, is is amazing in terms of, you know, everyone has been to that really big conference. I was at, I've been at a couple. I went to the Web Summit this year in uh, Dan Lisbon. Great event, <laughs> but with the sheer volume of people, you're talking fifty, sixty thousand people. Very difficult to build a, a kind of personal connection. Um, yeah, and at the community company, we're always there, but we hardly ever attend the actual conference. You know, one of the tactics we take into consideration that I think other businesses and brands can do as well is to curate people in a oasis is what we call it. You know, get people out of that noisy, um, anxiety-ridden experience and take them to an <laughs> oasis in which they can recharge, in which they can make meaningful connections with a curated group of people in a much more... Uh, intimate setting that allows for that type of connection to take place versus the doling out business cards at a conference, you know, <laughs> environment that just kind of spawns from these big events. Um, that is important to us. We do it at most of the major conferences that our members attend, and we make a strong effort within our communities of asking people, what conferences are you going to attend this year? So we know where to be, and we know where to set up oasis to help our members connect in a more meaningful setting. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You meant one of the case studies or one of the, the stories was a chap called Jim Pierce, who was an accountant who moved to a new town. He did set in, I think, needed to set up a new kind of network. I think that new the whole moving to a new town could be a metaphor for moving into a new market or starting a new business or yep. or anything. Can you talk to about a little bit about how he started and where where he started and how he kind of initially got set up? Because it was pretty. It seemed to me to be pretty um, a fairly scary experience for most people. Yeah, you know, first off, Jim is one of my favorite case studies from the book because he is, you know, your average business owner. He's not, you know, the celebrity rock star super connector that has one billion Twitter followers. He is like <laughs> a regular guy, and, and you know, one of the reasons why he's in the book is to show that. Anyone can do this. This isn't something that is, you know, um, just for the the top one percent. This is something that we can bring to any um, any walk of life. Um, and Jim is an interesting case study because what Jim did was uh, in his new town of Homestead, Florida, spent a lot of time 
building relationships with um, the local community, hosting dinners that brought uh, people that he wanted to build a relationship with on the business side together with him, but also together with um, his family and their families. You know, small, intimate gatherings where uh, their kids became best friends, uh, spouses became very close, really created a strong bond and an element of trust that otherwise would have been difficult to obtain. You can't develop that level of trust at ye old business conference. You can develop that level of trust when you're in someone's kitchen, chopping up vegetables together, drinking wine, and talking about real life, the stuff that happens outside of you know the elevator pitches that we give. You know, the things that are important to us that are transcendent of our businesses, that's where real trust, you know, gets established. And that's something that Jim was very good at. And in my life, you know, some of the best relationships that I've formed um, came from, you know, kind of going beyond that surface level business talk and down into deeper conversations about what really matters to me in my life, my family, uh, my spouse, uh, my children. And, and my hobbies, the things that we talked about earlier before we even started the, uh, the podcast recording, hiking, fishing, being outdoors, leaving my phone at home and, and going someplace to commune with nature uh, in a meaningful way without having to feel like I need to live stream it on Facebook. Um, those are where real connections get made and, and sharing that real intimate side of you is how people will build a level of trust that otherwise you just couldn't get. Yeah, and then one of the things, that were, another kind of concept there was that it, you really have to find the platform that you're comfortable with, right? So in the case sure. of Jim, it was dinners. In the case of someone else, it might be skydiving or skiing or yep. uh, it might be going into go bowling or whatever it is. I guess you have to kind of find your find your voice in terms of where, where you, what works for you and what you're comfortable with. Yes, yeah, pick your pawns. We talk a lot about the idea in the book that, you know, both – online and offline, you need to pick real estate in which to reside that makes you feel comfortable and that accentuates the best parts of yourself. That could be living in you know, New York City um, or living in you know, rural Ohio and, or anywhere in between. And online, that could mean you know, being incredibly active and engaged on social media across all platforms or it could mean just being very active in one in a very curated way. It's all about figuring out how you can give the best pieces of yourself to the world and whatever it is that you do and to not be um, too influenced by what others say you should do. We've heard enough from the gurus and the ninjas and the wizards and whatever else they're calling themselves these days on LinkedIn. It's time to listen to yourself. You are the guru of your life and you know the best answers to these questions that, and no one else does. I mean, I guess a really good example of that in terms of introverted and putting in uh, on their own kind of uh, territory would be Richard Branson with his with Necker Island with the kite surfing, so he's got yeah. a perfect platform there to kind of curate his curate events and people build his relationships on in a, an area where he feels extremely comfortable. That's also yep. quite attractive, so you can kind of see how that really works for him as a as a medium. Yeah, well, we should all have an island. That's the answer to everything. <laughs> Where's my island? <laughs> I'm sure it's coming soon. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much time for your time, Ryan. Um, it's been it's been You'll really really awesome. Be the first. Oh, sorry, I've just lost Thanks you. Thanks so much. I'm... Say again. I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. Glad that glad to be a part of it. Thanks so much for having me. And 
yeah, looking forward to uh, hopefully connecting with some people through your podcast. Yeah, for sure. And the book, uh, Super Connector, it's out on 27th of February, was it? February 27th. If you want to pre-order, you, you can go to superconnectorbook.com. Um, if you're an Amazon person, you can get the Amazon link. If you want a, you know, iPad or Kindle version, you can get that. All the links to all the places you can buy, you can pick your poison and, and you know, get to it from that site and also see what some people are saying about the book so far. And if people want to reach out to you directly, what's the what's the best way to reach you? Twitter or? Yeah, I'm very findable online. Um, Twitter is great, just at Ryan Paw. Um, you can connect me on LinkedIn. You can connect me on Facebook. You can email me. My email will be very easy to figure out. <laughs> it's uh, ryan at community.co. And um, I, I'd love to connect with anyone who considers themselves to be a community building geek. Uh, I love nerding out on other people's community ideas. So uh, hopefully I hear from some of you. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much for your time. It's much appreciated. Thanks again.